Our national conversation about conversations about race is sponsored by MailChimp. Guess how many businesses around the world use MailChimp? Seven million. To do what? Send email newsletters. Find out more at MailChimp.com. The following podcast contains explicit language. Hello and welcome to the B-side of Episode 5 of our national conversation about conversations about race, the I Check All the Boxes episode. I'm Tanner Colby here in Panoply's New York studios with my co-host Baratunde Thurston. Hello, sir. Yo. And Anand Girdadas, who is here filling in for our regular co-host, the wonderful Raquel Cepeda, who is away on assignment for the New York Times at Havasu Falls and the Havasupai Reservation at the bottom sure. of the Grand Canyon. Let's say I'm, yes. I'm going to go with that. You did great. Okay. Anand is the author most recently of The True American, Murder and Mercy in Texas, winner of the 2015 New York Public Library Helen Bernstein Book Award for Excellence in Journalism, and also a columnist for The New York Times. Thank you for joining us. So happy to be here. Yes. So we are down one gender, Yeah. but we are up... Of one ethnic group. Yeah. Kind of a diversity trade. Well, this has been a consistent theme in the feedback we've been getting. And as you know, this is where we discuss listener feedback here on the show. Joy from somewhere. Hi there. I've been listening to the show since the beginning, and the discussions are always interesting and, of course, so important. I'm a Korean-American transracial international adoptee. One thing that's bothered me since the show debuted, it seems like sometimes you forget about Asians. Mm. In the first episode, Raquel implied that all the diversity uh, in the hosts covered all the voices, and Tanner talked about the difficulty of defining certain races. He only mentioned black, white, and Hispanic, and these are just two times that I feel that Asians are left out in your conversation about race. Yeah. So we've gotten this comment about Native Americans. I think we've gotten this comment from two or three other groups, and it's just worth noting there are only so many chairs here in the studio. And we only go on vacation so often. Um, <laughs> but this is the best way to get different voices into the show. Send us your thoughts. Send us your emails. Or send us um, your people. Yes. Send us your Native Americans. And, and, and just to respond to Joy uh, directly for a moment, uh, because it's a podcast, she doesn't know that I am Asian American. Uh, so, so that's one. And also my, no- my name uh, translates as Joy. So we tried to really address her nice. concerns. This that's is a excellent. custom solution for you, yeah, Joy. This right. is how seriously... So about race. It's not about that. fixing structural issues. It's just about res- responding to individual. That's right. So that's why I led off with Joy's letter because we we actually we preemptively dealt with it yeah. before she even sent the we email. We saw that one coming, Joy. Yeah, try harder. So last week we talked about the uh, first season of American Crime. We talked about the chilling effect of social media self-censorship on public intellectuals of color working in white spaces. And we talked about the controversial New York Magazine article on the uh, Fieldston School, which has begun dividing students up by race in order to discuss race. And a lot of parents had a lot of problems with that. And here's what some of you had to say. First, on the issue of self-censorship on social media, the most interesting thing I thought... A professor in Maryland writes, I'm a white female university professor. I'd been on Facebook for a few years when I joined my current university in 2007, but I definitely had an oh shit moment when I began getting friend requests from my new colleagues. Mm. Now, mostly when we talked about on the last show, we talked about the relationship the between students. professors and students. Yeah. This is about other teachers. Mo- many of them, she says, tenured professors in my department who sat on the promotion and tenure committee. Damn. Suddenly it hit me that anything personal or political posted on social media could be used against me formally or informally. As I began to understand the nuances of the 10-year review cycle, I began to take steps to purge all of my social media accounts and censor everything I said publicly. 
And yes, the irony of a media studies professor and former journalist saying this is not lost on me. Now that I am tenured and have had a few years as a promotion and tenure oh, committee member myself, I can pinpoint times where social media and hallway impressions were given much more weight in my reviews than policy-mandated reviews of teaching portfolios. I have also witnessed colleagues using innocuous social media photos of mine to dispute personnel-related claims of other colleagues. To sum up, I am very concerned about the impact social media is having not just on academic freedom and collegiality, but on the potential institutional support of social justice movements. If you use my comments, please don't use my name as I'd like to apply for a promotion someday. <laughs> Damn. That was so meta, that that ending. That's yeah. perfect. Yeah. Yes. This social media scrubbing idea, it just it's weird because it, it reminds me of a story that we're going to talk about in our next episode about admissions policies in colleges and sort of professionalizing your online persona to get what you really want, whether it's dating profile scrubbers or professors, you know, who are kind of thrown back into the question asking the the needy seat of seeking approval. So this professor admitting that she like purged her history on social media because she knew people would be picking through it. I was just, I was blind to that possibility. It doesn't totally shock me, but it was new information. Right. So we have another guy, Greg, who is in the military, interestingly enough. And Which has, military? Just the military. There's only one. The, There's the only one. The U.S. military. <laughs> I'm a very forward-thinking guy who happens to be in my 13th year in the military. Lately, I've been feeling I've been holding my true calling back. The military can be good, but there's a lot about it that bothers me. As for media sources, I typically never friend those I work with directly mm. um, because basically he feels like he can't express himself in the military, yeah. Yeah. which I guess is like uh, academia. It's very hierarchical uh, and difficult. Well, um, and there's this whole promise. Like I've been such an advocate in the earlier days. I've tempered it a lot of, of social media. And just like the power of it to affect change on topics like this, the idea that we could, in some ways, the way Raquel has talked about, check all of our boxes um, and be more of ourselves because we can show up uh, more fully. We can like The Sopranos and like Empire and have both of those be a part of our Facebook record without feeling that we're uh, kind of hemmed in by that. But I think we're starting to realize that people are judgmental as hell and we are we got a little over um maybe irrationally exuberant there was like a bubble of possibility around social media and how much it would free us and it turns out it actually constrains us and we have to be just the same code switching that we do in words like the way you talk to your grandparents versus your coworkers versus your lover that happens digitally as well and uh so we're starting to rein that in a bit more that's interesting that you say i hadn't thought about it that way but all of the talk about empowerment of the internet it's actually been constraining I mean, I, I think at the ways. end of the day, yeah. part of part of the point is that the internet is actually sometimes thought of as too much of a thing. It, yeah. It's it's just all the human behavior that we've always had it's in new green. forms. Fifty years ago, if you were, you know, if you had a private life of being gay, um, that was held against you in the office, even though it had nothing to do with being in the office, because people would know where you lived, and maybe they went to a Christmas party once where they saw your lover. And um, people's personal lives are never entirely personal. The internet just makes that maybe easier yeah all right thanks internet for nothing and with there we, we got several uh emails along uh the same line which i won't read all of them but basically just pointing out that this is much 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 worse for women than for men the, and that, uh, internet that is judgment. The, yeah, yeah the internet judgment is uh that which seems... is true of i think judgment in general yeah. right that's judgment. the point, Anand's point. <laughs> right yeah all right so moving on to what generated the most discussion okay. of the week which was the uh segment about the fields in school which, to briefly recap, uh, 
you know, kids are going to this elite progressive school and this new woman, Mariama Richardson, came in and had set up this program. And part of it was that they were going to segregate yeah. kids into different affinity groups so that they could have discussions within those safe spaces. And this sent a shockwave of controversy through the parent body because some parents were really in favor of it and other parents really hated it because they didn't want to classify their children. So the main philosophical divide in the last conversation was between parents who say, my kid is in a box anyway because society puts them there and I want to really empower that identity for them and, and, and prepare like, them and prepare them for yeah. it. And other people say, I want to put my child on a path of discovering who they are and I can help them along the way, but I'm not going to define it for them. And I don't want certainly a school defining it for them either. Where do you fall on that divide? I, I'm going to check a third box, which oh, you didn't give me, which is, okay. I, I think having gone through this a little bit myself with like a very weird name and and in many ways being part of a very mainstream american world in other ways being part of an immigrant family thick skin is actually very important in this conversation the reality of the lived experience of a child is going to have to go through life is you're going to be in some situations where you're treated very tolerantly and openly and you're going to be in others where people are ignorant um, but well-meaning and you're going to be in, still in others where you know people are intolerant um, so I think of that age and school as uh, if, if if you get a little bit of thick skin out of it, um, it's not a bad idea. And therefore, being part of these things where you're both conscious of, yeah, I am in this group, and there's some conversation about how it's not your destiny it probably seems kind of right to me. So if you had to check the box in third grade, what would you check? Um, what are the boxes again? Well, they were the, your standard U.S. Census boxes, yeah, so basically. Yes, I would have checked Asian American, Indian American, um, yeah, and I would not have had a problem with that. And I can also tell you a long story about why that's not the end-all and be-all of me, but it doesn't bother me to check that. Our national conversation about conversations about race is sponsored by MailChimp. My own business is one of the 7 million that uses MailChimp to send our email newsletters and deliver high fives to our communities. Now, the people behind this company, they admire projects that spread creative empathy in the world and something they like to call creative chaos on the web. MailChimp also goes above and beyond distributing hats for cats and small dogs. Find out more at MailChimp.com. MailChimp, send better email, y'all, because we can now. One woman wrote in, uh, Joyce, uh, also from somewhere, did not give a location, yeah. says, I don't agree with Tanner and the rest of you that Jews, and by extension, uh, him and me, I'm not Jewish, are white. I think we can pass, but sometimes I don't think that's the same. I think she misunderstood what we were talking about. We were saying that what this program did is it put Jews and whites in the same yeah. box. Yeah. And I think that which was- is what America does. Which is what America does. And Most I think the, the woman who runs this program, that reflected her personal- perspective on it was, well, Jews and whites, you go in the same box yeah. because as far as I- all look the same to me. Because as far as I'm concerned, that's who you are. But this woman was, you know, born of a, a father who, who survived the Holocaust yeah. and um, says, uh, I'm only one generation away from the real possibility of death simply because of my ancestry. We're in a safe time now, but there have been other safe times. Maybe that's my outdated paranoia. I honestly don't know, but only time will tell us. And for now, it forms my ethnic identity and that of many Jews. I don't like checking the Caucasian box when I fill out forms, and I definitely wouldn't have my children check it for an exercise in school. I check Hebrew when it's there, but it's usually not as much as it should be. You, often I check other. Um, and this just, again, to me, shows the limitations of the box. And the problems... And the, sorry, go ahead. Right. No, go ahead. Go ahead. the problems of New York City. Right. Too much diversity. You got to live in a simpler town, people. Right. Yeah. Like, and Hebrew as a box is not... That's not going to be in central Iowa. They're not going to have that... I thought that was a language. It is, and but I think she's, 
I mean, let's assume that she's got a particular attachment to that word, but right. in general means like Jewish American or like mm-hmm. the religion, ethnicity, race boundary line is a whole nother set of shades right. to add to how we like illuminate this issue. And there are never enough boxes. They're right. never going to be enough Which boxes. is why I used my Venn diagram analogy, yeah. right? So Annalise on Facebook wrote, I've enjoyed listening to all of your podcasts since the very first episode. This Good. is the first topic I've personally identified with the most so far. I have Latina heritage. My dad is half Mexican. But if it weren't for my surname, no one would ever see me as anything but white. I am very proud of my background, and I want to continue to identify myself as Latina. However, I have often struggled with knowing which box to check mm. because the categories are too restrictive or too exclusive. Sometimes the answer I wish I could list is none of the above. Yeah. And... To me, that's one of the points that I didn't get to make last time we were talking mm. about. Like, Raquel brilliantly checks all the boxes. Yeah, no, she right? likes to just throw a wrench into the database. Right, which to me is like pushing all the buttons on the elevator. Exactly. It's just like, fuck it's you. Like you're like messing up for the next passenger. <laughs> right? I think if you talk to a lot of white people. Yeah. So many white people, you ask them, like, you know, what they are. Say, oh, I'm a little Scottish and Spanish. I'm kind of nothing, really. Mm-hmm. Right? We don't sit around and talk about the white race. Right? We don't do that anymore. Yeah, I mean, it's like some, a very small relatively toothless subpopulation within you. Right, right. But like, I know that I'm white and I have all the advantages of being white. But like, if you asked me really, I'd say, I'm kind of none of the above because I'm not a wasp, right? I'm not part of that world. And I think that none of the above and all of the above are kind of two sides of the same coin, Mm. right? I'm going to tell you a quick story that I think illustrated another way to deal with this. A parable, It is a parable. Some friend's father was being given some immigrant award. And we were asked to show up. So we show up in the south of Manhattan. We take a boat to Staten Island. It's extremely... Oh, wow. Very symbolic. Uh, sorry, not Staten Island. Ellis Island, of course. Take a you know a lot of well-dressed people on this boat. We get to Ellis Island, see this huge hall. And immigrant awards. And they start calling all these immigrants up. And this particular NGO that was giving this out was particularly big on people who'd worked in government, people who'd worked in the military, the police. And a lot of Indian people came up, mm-hmm. Chinese people came up. And then, lo and behold... A lot of white people started coming up to get immigrant awards. And you started to realize there was immigrants, there was first generation, there was second generation, there was third generation people. Some, you know, a lot of white people who've been here a very long time came up Hmm. and they read for each person who came up. They didn't give a talk, but the the announcer read whatever heritage these people had said they come from. And it was Welsh, Irish and this. And it was this amazing leveling moment. Mm-hmm. where instead of just denying that the Chinese guy is Chinese, as we can all see, yeah. um, the white guy is also given a history right. in a way that actually, and I'd never seen that done that way, and it was actually very, very powerful. We are all immigrants. And I mean, I think you hear that argument in politics sometimes around immigration reform, where, like, we're a nation of immigrants, and there are these kind of quotation marks around the it. People always say that right before they want to shut down the That's border. right, that's right. right. But in this case, they were celebrating and sort of extending the the label do you think about that ceremony when you hear discussions of immigration now or was it just a one-time the thought i had that night was it was the closest i felt in a long time to there being a genuine basis for saying america is better than most places in the world Mm, usa right and it's and and the the problem is america is not better for a lot of the reasons people say it's better but what was on display that night there was something and i've lived in a lot of other places there was something truly better about it so that brings us to what I thought was one of the better emails we got and I think speaks to the, the larger problem here. We talked about it in terms of the school program, but here's the larger issue. From Megan in D.C., hi, Baratunde Raquel Tanner. Love the show. My friends and I listen every week and then have conversations about our national conversation about conversations about race. I found the show this week particularly interesting and wanted to write in to probe further discussion. I work for D.C.'s Child and Family Services Agency in the Data and Research area. 
Um, and while I know that checking a box reduces race and ethnicity to a level that doesn't allow for the very real and important nuances in identity, it does allow for us to give facts and statistics to back up anecdotal evidence. Without forcing, for lack of a better word, people to self-select a box, we wouldn't be able to give statistics and facts to target where resources are needed nationally. Sometimes that targeting is done in a negative way, but sometimes it's used by good people trying to do good work, like my colleagues and I. In the show itself, Bertunde mentioned a statistic on tenure for female professors of color. Those experiencing that statistic already know that they'll face difficulty getting tenure, but until we can look at trends and the experiences of a bigger majority to see just how abysmal that statistic is, we will have a harder time backing up the need for improvement. She's right. We have this massive racial accounting system mm-hmm. of who gets what and who goes where and how. I just see a bunch of abacuses right, right. now. Just like Huge, just one machines. massive abacus yes. in D.C. But if people like Raquel start hitting all the buttons in the elevator, yeah. and if all these boxes get more and more complex, and if the Jewish people don't want to be here, and da da da, and everything we talked about, what happens to that accounting system? No, the uh, accounting and accountability are important. I love Megan in D.C., and I grew up there, so I extra appreciation for this comment. One of the reasons that stop and frisk no longer is official policy in New York City is that we were accounting, and we were counting and being accountable for the disproportionate abuse of this police tactic. And we had to sue to get that accounting. That's right. And so they weren't giving it. So accounting on its own, right? It, it has some negative like personal identity struggles and challenges and frustrations, but social benefits and the great project of ending or at least reducing racism does depend on counting races in some kind of system. And maybe there's a way to roll them up. You know, maybe there's like nested groupings that you could do where you add finer levels of uh, accounting, but there's still like a lump that gets kind of uh, looked at differently and how we can allocate resources more justly uh, is important. So thanks, Megan. Yeah. So where do, you, where do you find the middle ground there? How many boxes do you have? I mean, I think you have like no more than 13 boxes. Uh, that's just based on my scientific studies uh, over the past 13 seconds, I guess. And can we sue to get those released? <laughs> yeah, no, there'll be transparency in box decision-making. But I honestly, like, I was half-joking, but I think there is some clustering that could happen. Um, and I think as we expand who we think is worth counting, it also varies by the problem that we're trying to solve or the pain that we're trying to alleviate. Not every set of boxes needs to be exactly the same for every municipal department and every accounting system in the nation. So it's kind of probably case-specific. I, I would just I would just give the example also of what's happening right now, kind of a real revolution that's happening with gender. There are a lot of people right now who would argue that opening up and adding the number of boxes in addition to male and female mm-hmm. is an um, important emancipation. People want to claim a new, new named that's things right. because getting them named and getting them to be a box is, is part of yeah. having legitimacy and yeah. status in the society. Yeah. And then maybe 50 years from now, they want no boxes. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but there's an important liberating effect to, to being a thing that's recognized in the society as a thing. Yeah. So 13 yeah. boxes, we agree. Yes, 13. Yeah. Can we title this B-side 13 boxes? 13 boxes. <laughs> so, okay, we'll just tie it up with some uh, miscellany, other stuff that came in on other issues. Someone emailed in to let Raquel know that in episode five, one of the speakers said her mitochondrial DNA from her father. Mitochondrial DNA is solely from the mother. Raquel wanted to note that she knows this Boom. and she just misspoke. Oh, when I said mitochondrial DNA, I meant my father's mitochondrial DNA. Sometimes I say our because 50% of my genetic makeup came from my dad. And then it gets real scientific from there and I don't know what, what's what's going on. We're having um, a spinoff podcast just yes. like about racial we DNA. We also got uh, on Twitter from Samantha Slavinsky. 
sitting on Ellis Island listening to show about race while wearing an Ogala Lakota Nation t-shirt. Hashtag Mitakue Oyasin. Honestly, Tanner, you got to work on your pronunciation. I do have to work <laughs> on my name. Offensive yeah. in 2015. <laughs> Which is a Lakota phrase that means all are related, all are interconnected. Bam. Right? So that's the most about race tweet. There's so she many layers to that tweet. Our, she is the podcast. Like, right. It doesn't get more about race than sitting on Ellis Island and with a Lakota shirt, she said. And, yes. Oh, so I like that tweet. Um, most of our feedback is coming via email. Mm. So people are really taking the time to write out thoughtful, intelligent like things. Uh, so we appreciate that. Keep sending us your feedback. Can I give them a question for next time? Uh, Go yeah, for let's it. try it. Just throw a wrench into the system. Push all the buttons on. So what box do you wish was on the forms of your life ah. that hasn't that you've never seen before. That's good. Like we know one woman who wrote in wants Hebrew as a box. What other boxes do you want to see? I like that. Good stuff. 